You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. We're so glad that you are here this morning. Um, You've heard already a lot about the gospel, about the covenant relationship we have with the Lord through the songs, through Allison's presentation, uh, even through the announcements. And I just want to say that if you're here for the first time, today's going to be an unusual day. You'll think it's a normal day. It's really not. I'm going to preach about giving today, about what it means to give of our, our, our finances and Clearly, you can uh, extend that out to time and gifts and talents, all the things and the the ways that we're giving. But Allison has already um, given us a very fine appeal. I was afraid she was going to talk about six or seven of those top ten experiences in her life and embarrass me. So I'm glad she didn't just tell that. That's my wife in case uh, you're just getting here. But... We were talking yesterday and today about Samaritan's Purse, about these shoeboxes. One, the, one thing you can absolutely know for certain is that whenever Samaritan's Purse is on the ground, the gospel is going out. There are some amazing people. My son Michael is an associate pastor in Boone and works with a lot of those. He takes trips and speaks to the donors and you know, all over Africa and South America occasionally because he's connected with them. He, he serves as an elder at the church with some of the people from Samaritan's Purse. You can know. Typically, they're the first ones uh, on the scene when there's a crisis somewhere in the world. First ones in force. And they stay there when everybody else is gone. Christians do, for sure. But Samaritan's Purse often will stay a long time in a place trying to help people uh, in need. And then with these shoe boxes, we've just seen it over and over and over and over again. The, the joy that it, it gives these people as the love of Christ is being um, shared with them. And the love, first of all, through just, just that little token of, uh, of care and love and appreciation through the gifts. And then also through the, through the hearing of the gospel. Um, the gospel, God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We were sinful. Jesus had never, perfect God, 100%, never sinned, knows no sin. God knows no sin. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, lived a perfect life. The one Adam was supposed to live, but failed to live. <clears throat> And became eligible or was eligible because of his state to die in our place. Knowing God is not about what you do. It's about what has been done for you through Christ. I'm going to talk about gospel all day today. That's what we're talking about. When you come before a holy God and confess your sins and say, Oh Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. And then you acknowledge, though, that what Jesus did on the cross was payment for your sin. He gave you a gift that you did not deserve. In a sense, that's a teeny little bit of what's happening with these shoeboxes. But then that that gospel message about the real gift comes right behind it. So 
you will understand that. Like I say, it'll make sense as we go. If you've been at Grace Community Church for any length of time, uh, you will have discerned that the preferred preaching style here at Grace is expository preaching. Even if you did not know what to call it, you've begun to discern patterns and hopefully the benefits of preaching through a book and understanding how that book was written in its original context, all the things that go into making it what it was at the time so that we can understand it now. If you're going to preach an expository message, you need to identify to whom was the book written? <clears throat> Who was it written by? What were the primary issues being addressed? And as you're looking at this book, what is the larger context of the passage or the specific text and verse that you're addressing as well as how the book fits into the Bible as a whole. So there's a whole lot of context that goes on. One of the reasons I'm not crazy about preaching topical messages like the one that I'm going to do today is that if you're going to do it the way you should, you're going to have to spend a decent amount of time giving context for that book and that passage before you jump in and find out what it means and what it means to us. Expository preaching first seeks to determine the meaning of the text in its original setting and only then to apply the truth of the text to our lives in our day. One of the huge mistakes that we make when we, we study history is to impose our values and our understanding and our context on an earlier time. And we say, I can't believe that person did such and such a thing. Well, you weren't alive then. Maybe you would have been the one to break the mold. Maybe not. Certainly, we have to know what was going on in the days in which Scripture was written in order to understand exactly what was being said so that we can bring it in to today. In other words, it is first a matter of interpretation, then application. One of the benefits of preaching through a book is that sooner or later, you're going to cover almost every topic that is relevant in our day. And in addition to that, you're going to preach texts that you would never preach otherwise. I would never, you know, choose to preach a text on this or that when it could be sensitive or difficult for people if I were not forced to preach it going through the book. Expository preaching may work better with propositional truth and with the narrative portions of Scripture, but expository preaching really is as much a mindset as it is a practice. And the challenge is to always be faithful to the truth of Scripture and allow the text to inform your sermon rather than allowing a point that you want to make to drive the message in search of a text. Does that make sense? We're letting the Scripture tell us what God wants us to know, not saying, well, I'll tell you one thing I think, and I think there's a verse in here for that. Let me see if I can't find that. I bet there it is, right there. And it's taken out of context and really doesn't mean it. Never meant that. But it does in your life and in your mind. But congratulations, you've just become God, if that's the case, right? Because we are the ones who determine what ought to be and what ought not to be. But if we approach Scripture saying, Lord, what do you want me to know? Then we're much more likely to understand. And I can promise you, it's good 
don't say, oh, well, it just doesn't address the needs of our day. It absolutely addresses the needs of our day. And always remember, separate politics and the kingdom. And make sure that you are a kingdom man, a kingdom woman. And you enter into politics with the kingdom in mind, not the other way around. That makes sense. And, and all of us need to display the love of Christ. Go in places where others thought it was unwise to go. Well, I better get off of that soapbox or we'll be here for a long time. Um, so, topical messages can very much be true to Scripture, even if you're drawing from several texts. And that's a good thing because today's topic is giving, as in tithes of offerings kind of giving. Now, I'm not doing it just because, hey, it's a good time to preach on giving. We're in knee-deep in the budget process here at Grace Community Church as we look to 2020 and and anticipate the ways that God would have us to direct our resources and church funds for gospel ministry. And some people would say, preacher, just stick to preaching the gospel, not preaching about money. Well, that's difficult to do since the Bible ties the two together. Maybe you didn't think about that, but we're going to see today that it does. Here are a few questions that we need to answer uh, based on what the Bible says. First of all, is tithing expected for New Testament believers or of New Testament believers, or is it strictly an Old Testament law? Tithing is an Old Testament law, we hear. Is it? We'll see. How is giving tied to the gospel? I've just said that it is. That's a pretty bold statement. Should I give systematically or as the Spirit moves? Where should I give my money? To church, to missions, to Christian ministries, benevolence, building fund? Where? Are there benefits for me if I give? There are two texts that we're, we will engage to address these questions. Galatians 6, 6 through 9, and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. After we read our opening text, I want to talk a little bit about the way we should approach topics that are not neatly wrapped up and delivered to us in Scripture. Like, say, for instance, the systematic explanation of the gospel in the book of Romans. If you go through the book of Romans, you and you go through it several times, just read through several times, you'll, you'll say, wait a minute, okay, he's establishing the sinfulness of man and the need for some help outside of ourselves. He's establishing that Christ died on the cross and that by faith we receive him. And when we do, this is what our lives should look like. But, like, but there's a problem, but then the, the Spirit... blesses us in any and every circumstance. So you see that systematic presentation in the book of Romans. You don't find it on some topics in Scripture. So we're going to address these questions on the screen looking at a few different places in Scripture. And I want to explain as we go how we're getting to this place. Galatians 6, 6 through 10 is our opening text. And if you would please stand, as is our custom, out of respect for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Let the one who is taught the word share all good things 
with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Man, that's quite a break between 6 and 7, isn't it? Actually, it's no break at all. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The conversation continues in verses 8 and 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, um, these words that we're going to hear from your word today are necessary for all of us, whether we've never thought about it or whether we just need to be reminded. We thank you for the inexpressible gift of Jesus. And now, may our hearts anticipate with joy what you say about our privilege to participate in the kingdom and in the work that you're doing in this world. By giving. And as we give to know that those resources are multiplied. A hundredfold. Thousands of times over. Encourage our hearts. Don't discourage us. Encourage us. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Today is going to feel like a day of list. I mean, there are several lists in this message. Here is a principle. Uh, there are a few principles for, for addressing topics of Scripture that do not fall under the major doctrine category. I mean, they're a, very much a part of gospel community life, but it's not like it, the Bible lays it out systematically like the gospel in Romans. Or when we talk about the doctrine of God or the doctrine of the Trinity, the words not anywhere in Scripture, but we can piece it together. Uh, and some are more or easier than others. But there are some that are a little bit vague. Like, for instance, church discipline or giving. These are very much a part of church life. And here are a few principles to help guide our thinking. First, the New Testament is, to a degree, the Old Testament written in view of Jesus' cross and the gospel. Some answers to New Testament questions are found in the Old Testament. Remember, it's not that Jesus came along as a, as a better alternative to the law. But rather, Jesus is the fulfillment of all to which the Old Testament Pointed. He is the completion of God's plan, not the result in a dramatic shift in God's thinking. To help understand this first principle, just think about this. Do you know how much the New Testament says about parenting, about raising children? Very little. Very little. You know why? Because a great deal is said in the Old Testament. Now, since we live in New Testament days, should we say, oh, that was back in the Old Testament. We're just sticking with the New Testament. No. We, we get what we can from the Old Testament, understanding 
that things have changed in Christ. And as we parent, we want to raise our children with the, the same kind of grace that's been extended to us through Christ. Second, when there are not clearly delineated instructions for a specific function of church life, follow the patterns that are established in Scripture. Once again, you think about Old Testament, New Testament. What is our church service based on? What pattern are we following? The pattern of the synagogues that were scattered around the empire. This is the way they would do business. Very much the way we do business in the church. Now, let's just say, for instance, talking about church discipline, if someone were caught in a grievous sin for which they were unrepentant, where would we go in the New Testament church uh, to initiate church discipline? Where would we go in the New Testament? We would go to Matthew 18. And have one person confront the sinner with his or her sin. Then two or three would go, probably elders in our context. And then we'd bring the person before the church. But the Matthew 18 pattern was not written to help us understand how to call out an adulterer. Someone who is caught up in an affair. It was The circumstance was two people were upset. With one another. You know, Colby and Scooter got an issue with each other. And Colby goes to Scooter and says, hey man, you got to get this right. And he says, forget you. And he comes back, brings two or three others. And then we bring Scooter before the church. It wasn't that way. That, that's not, I mean, that was the circumstance that Matthew 18 was written for. But we use Matthew 18 as our pattern for church discipline. Does that make sense? So... A pattern was established that we follow for other offenses in the case of church discipline. That leads us to the last principle in this list. The local New Testament church is given a great deal of latitude for gospel community life. Why do we meet at 9 and 1045 instead of 11 and 2? And don't say NFL football. That's, that's not a good reason. Um... Why do we have home groups while some churches have Sunday school classes? I could go on, but you get the point. The same is true for church discipline and stewardship campaigns in churches. And again, it's not our custom to make a big deal about money. But when we get into it, the scripture has a lot to say, a whole lot to say. And we may as well hear it. So these three principles will inform our thinking today about giving, which is not as clear as we might want it to be about tithing, special offerings, etc. The good news is that there are principles and patterns in Scripture for us to follow when thinking about our responsibilities and privileges as believers who live in gospel community under the new covenant. Old covenant, tithe. New covenant, grace-filled, gospel-led giving. Now, if you're not familiar with Galatians 6.6, you would likely not understand that the Apostle Paul was saying, pay the preacher. Churches should pay the preacher. If someone has shared spiritual blessings with you, then share all material blessings with the one who has taught you. In the past, that meant 
bringing extra vegetables and canned vegetables and providing a parsonage, that kind of thing. And in, in the first century, it was taking care of, of, of the daily needs of life so that the pastor could get in just like the elders modeled in the early church. I mean, the disciples did when they said appoint deacons because the work that we're doing in the word and in prayer is too, is too important to set aside for other areas. So this is the principle that's going on in the early church. Make sure that you pay the one who is teaching. Um, so in verses 7 and 8, the sowing and reaping almost certainly refer to our giving, although it also goes all the way back to Galatians 5 where he talks about walking in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. And Galatians 5, if you can follow my train of thought here, and if you can't, it's okay. It'll click at the point that it's supposed to. The first four chapters of Galatians, Paul is talking very specifically about the need for the pure, unadulterated gospel to be preached in the churches of Galatia. And essentially, he's tying the responsibility to pay the preacher, so to speak, with the, with the pure gospel being preached in their midst. It's by no means a stretch to say that paying the preacher who preaches the pure gospel is a gospel matter. Now, fortunately, in our case, it's not up to me to preach a pure gospel. It is up to the eight elders to preach a pure gospel. And if you think it's not the way it's supposed to be, then you need to go to one of the elders, and they are going to hold my feet to the fire, especially if I say anything that would be in opposition to the clear Beautiful, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 9 and 10 of Galatians 6, we're told to help the poor. We are first told to help the poor within our body and then those outside our body whenever we have opportunity. At the end of every service or at the end of the last service at the last Sunday of the month, we take a benevolence offering. We're helping people in our body, people outside our body. Pray for those guys, by the way, who make those decisions. The deacons, there are three deacons that make those decisions about should we help here or not. Because a lot of people are looking for the funds that we give. And those guys have the responsibility to distribute them responsibly. So pray for them. Today, we had a challenge to help people that don't we don't know anything about, and, and we're fairly certain a lot of them don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. So wherever we have opportunity, help those who are in need. Keep this pattern from Galatians 6 in mind, because it's going to be important in a few minutes as we answer those five initial questions. We will be answering those questions from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 also, which may be, the best passage in the whole Bible to understand what our motives for giving should be. Wish I had time to examine the text in detail, but we will draw refreshing truth from the little that we dabble in. The historical context for 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is this. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and saying, hey, remember we talked about 
taken a special offering for the people in Jerusalem. Now, the folks in Jerusalem are suffering because of their commitment to the gospel. They've been put out of the synagogue. They've, been, they've had their homes confiscated. They're poor. And we need to help. You know why? Because they helped us spiritually. In fact, they helped all Gentiles. And so it's our responsibility to help them in material things just like they've helped us with the gospel. So these two chapters were written to encourage a special benevolence offering. But the principles that we find here, the patterns surrounding this offering serve as a guideline for New Testament giving. Just as Matthew 18 doesn't cover all the church discipline matters, but it serves as a pattern for us to follow. So, let's begin to answer our questions looking at the two texts that we have as our guide. First, is tithing expected for New Testament believers or is it strictly an Old Testament law, an Old Testament practice? Technically speaking, the tithe was an Old Testament law. And the New Testament motivation for giving is the response of a grateful heart for the grace that was shown to one who has received that which he or she had no right to expect. Michael Card, that's his definition of chesed, the Old Testament um, uh, word, that Hebrew word that we see most often translated as loving kindness or faithfulness. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. One of the things that he said is that the most shocking thing about the Old Testament is to realize that God is a loving, gracious, kind God in the Old Testament just like He is now. But in Christ, all the promises of, of God are fulfilled. And we are blessed beyond imagination. So more about that in the next point. For now, let's talk about the Old Testament tithe and the pattern for New Testament believers uh, that we would be wise to follow. There were three tithes expected of the covenant community under the Mosaic law. The first tithe was to be given regularly, while the second and third tithes were given intermittently. Uh, some have calculated that the totality of the tithe came to 23%. It must also be noted that the Old Testament tithe expected of the Israelites amounted to a federal tax. So they were, it was a national expectation as well as a God covenant with his people expectation. First, the Levitical tithe or the sacred tithe laid out for us in Numbers 18. Uh, this followed the pattern, the pattern in Scripture. It followed the pattern of Melchizedek in Genesis 14 when Abraham gave a tenth of all that he had gotten from Melchizedek or to Melchizedek. It was to take care of the Levites and the tabernacle slash temple expenses. In other words, pay the preacher, take care of the building. That's what it was for. The tithe of the feast was the second one in Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 27. Wow, if you read this, you're going to be surprised at this tithe. It's almost like a Christmas club account 
or a Christmas account, you know, where you set aside a certain amount. Oh, you young ones don't have any idea what I'm talking about. It's just, you know, pull out the card and swipe it now. But back in the day, you'd set money aside. You'd save money, lay away. You'd put an item on layaway. You'd pay for part of it. Then you'd come in every week or month and pay it off. This was a tithe that was to be set aside for you to use when you went to the feast in Jerusalem at the place that God would choose, it says in Deuteronomy, which we know would become Jerusalem. You were to save this money and then spend it in a festive atmosphere at the different feasts held through the year. Spend your way any way you like on this vacation with a purpose, a religious purpose. And take care of the local Levite while you're at it. And then third, the tithe for the poor. Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29. At the end of every three years, give a tithe or 10% of your crops. You see how these figures are adding up? Give a tithe of your crops for the poor to eat. Now think about the New Testament instructions for giving. First, pay the preacher. Galatians 6, 6, and then 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 11, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Look, there are so many more that we could go to, but you get the idea there's plenty of Scripture to support this notion. Second, take care of ministry expenses. Now, again, this is implied from the patterns that are in Scripture. Um, there weren't a lot of building expenses in the time that the New Testament was written, but there has been provision made for it in all of Scripture. Uh, direction was given to us in both the Old Testament and the New Testament principles and patterns. And then take care of the poor. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is just one place. James, a lot of Jesus teaching. On and on we could go. Are you starting to see the patterns? God has patterns that he expects from us. So that's the first question. Is the tithe an Old Testament concept and practice only, or is it in the New Testament? Second of our five questions. How is giving tied to the gospel? I've already mentioned the connection in Galatians, but 2 Corinthians 8, 9 really should be all the motivation we need. Written as it was with an appeal to give. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Instead of 37 lists this morning, maybe a way to approach this message would have just been to read this verse and then meditate for 30 minutes. Look at what Christ has done for you, believer. And really, you can't afford to give? Really? Taking care of yourself, even taking care of your children, that's a hard one for me because I want to do that. I want to leave something for my kids. And I will. But that ought not to be the primary thing that drives me when I think about what 
God wants me to do with my money. Fortunately, I have three children that understand that, which, by the way, so I, I, I do want to say, if you're young, please, please, please start these practices now. It's much harder when you're older. But if you're older, this is for all of us. Look at what God has done for us. How can we withhold? There's plenty more. I don't have time to give the context. But again, the, second, the two chapters in 2 Corinthians conclude with these words in chapter 9. Beginning with verse 13. By their approval of this service, he's talking about Macedonians, he's talking about the people in Jerusalem, he's talking about all kinds of people. Like I said, I don't have time to give the context. By, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. How are they confessing the gospel of Christ? Through what they do. Through what they put in the offering plate, through the Samaritan's purse boxes they pick up, through the benevolence offering, through the person down the street needing something in your, right in your neighborhood, right in your space, doing what you can. Your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you and through you, we could say, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. It's really not. When you hear somebody talk about the need to give, it's if you get upset, it's not between you and that person. It it's the one who has extended to us an inexpressible gift. Third, should I give systematically or as the Spirit moves? I think we know the answer to this question, right? Yes. <laughs> Once again, following the pattern set in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 16 says to lay aside funds every week. We're in a different setting, and you may give to the church. They were setting aside that offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. <clears throat> but So you may not just do it once a week. You may do it once a month or even twice a year, depending on your business. The Old Testament says to give off the top and to give your best. But I can let the money earn interest and then give it at the end of the year. Well, you can't do that. But the Lord says, give it off the top. He'll take care of that interest for you. The Old Testament and the New Testament present very much a common front. The Lord doesn't want us to give from what is left over, but to give our best to Him. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says it far better than I could. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. I'm sure if I had searched long and hard enough, I could have found, you know, the words of hilarious and some of those. I didn't find it in the ones that I was looking at, but that's my understanding. That is this delightful privilege that we have to give, which speaks to 
the condition of our heart when we're able to do that. You should know that Paul is drawing from multiple Old Testament texts in these two chapters to make his point about giving. In almost every way, every way the New Testament holds us to a higher standard than the Old Testament law. You, th- you may think, oh man, I am glad to be out from under the law. I could never live like that. I'm glad that God is gracious and forgiving. He was gracious and forgiving back then. One of the points of the law was to show us that we can't live that way. And that our only hope is in Christ. But you think about all the ways that the expectation is higher. Don't commit adultery. Don't hate. I mean, don't uh, murder. Over here, don't lust. Don't hate. This was the spirit of the law all along. It's much more than just what you do and don't do. Uh, In Christ, uh, you are to walk in the power of the spirit. And if you do, you will fulfill the law and then some. In the Old Testament, give your tithes. In the New Testament, give generously and cheerfully. Because you have been redeemed. Once again... We see the pattern. Fourth, where should I give my money? Church, missions, Christian ministries, benevolence, building funds, etc. Quite simply, give where you are blessed. That is the principle that we find in Galatians 6.6. Following all the direct commands and the principles from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, your giving should be Begin, I should say, begin with the church. And if you're not in a church where you feel like God is doing something in this place and I'm happy to be a part, then you should be somewhere in a church setting under authority where people are accountable to one another. Not And, and by the way, when I say that in conjunction with money, I have no idea what you give. Very few people. We have enough people who know to keep the the knowers accountable to one another from different angles. But there are very few people who know what you get. But I'm talking about accountable spiritually to one another. We have to be that so that we are good leaders and good stewards of the resources that God has given us. And as for our budget process, some of which the budget copies of the budget are out there, um, we have a whole lot of people involved in that process. It's a very American thing to designate where your money goes. God calls us to give to the primary means of advancing the gospel. Do you know what the primary means of advancing the gospel is? It's the church. That's plan A. And there is no plan B. We are blessed with all kinds of parachurch ministries that point people not only to Jesus, but also to the church. But the church is plan A. The church sends missionaries. It needs a building to conduct its business. And we need staff to give the gospel to all who attend. And don't get lost in your mind. I'm getting to the next section of giving. So don't be upset about what I've said so far. We also are called to help the poor, both inside the body and outside the body. After giving 10% to the church, which is a good practice. This is the tithe of the Old Testament to take care 
of the needs of the spiritual community. Then give graciously to others. If you have been led to Christ by a campus ministry leader, you ought to be supporting that ministry leader. You get the idea. Fifth, are there benefits for me if I give? My goodness, always. It, it ought not to be our primary motivation for giving. And certainly, if you go too far with it, you can get into the prosperity gospel. You give only so that you will receive on top. But I want to tell you, the Bible does talk about this reaping and sowing and reaping in the context of what we give over and over in Scripture. He tells us in the book of Proverbs how to gain wealth and how to be responsible with it. He says in 1 Timothy 6, those who are wealthy need to remember that you have a responsibility to help those who do not have the same opportunities and privileges that you do. Start in the body and then move outside the body. But those are not the primary benefits of giving. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. Acts 20, 35, the Apostle Paul says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give, more blessed to give and to receive. You may think that by deciding not to give to the Lord's work, your life will be easier and more enjoyable. But the opposite is true. Even if it has not played out in your life, yet it will. I know several of you to be very generous people. And it's manifested in many ways. And being generous naturally is a gift from God. I realize not everybody has that gift where we are just naturally generous. Some are naturally stingy. And that doesn't make one person better than the other. These are gifts from God or the ways that God has made us. And the generous person needs a stingy person to say, well, now hold on there just a minute every now and then, you know. We got to have that. And then the generous, the, the stingy person needs the generous person to say, really, come on. This is a privilege. This is a beautiful thing we get to do. All right, where do we go from here? One last list. That's where we go to challenge us here at Grace. First, give 10% of your income to the general fund of the church off the top of your salary every month. And the budget that we're talking about will be met. But I, I can all but assure you of this. I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to find myself in court someday. But if you give 10%, the Lord's going to take care of you. I have seen it over and over and over. Is an Old Testament tithe required of the New Testament believer? No, it's not. In fact, more is expected from New Testament believers because we have been redeemed and are no longer under the law. 10% is a good place to begin. Did you catch that? It's a good place to begin. And so it makes sense to call it a tithe. Don't get hung up on terms, whether people use it or not. It's okay to use the term tithe, even though it's not a New Testament requirement. It is an expectation, so it's okay to say it. Should we tithe off the gross or the net? 
Allison and I tithe off the gross, but as Dave Ramsey says, hey, I'm happy if you're giving. Just, just give. I always say this. I always say it when I preach about giving. It's okay if you've heard it a hundred times. Hear it again. I've, I, I have never known anyone to say, you know, we made the decision to start tithing and it just ruined us. It ruined us. We couldn't pay our bills. We, got, we lost our home. Had to give the car back. But we, no, it's the opposite. It, it's not that you all of a sudden become wealthy, but what it is is you hear people say, I have no idea where the money came from. I have no idea how the Lord provided for me. And then Americans, first world, all the issues that we have. You know, we have $3,000 bonus and we're going to use it. And then the transmission goes and it's like, ah, oh, the Lord provided though, right? We want too much, methinks. Especially the guy in the mirror that I see every day. If 10% is too big a leap for you, then jump in with five and work up. But honestly, I think it's better to jump in than to get in slowly. I hate going in cold water. I just hate it. And I'm far better off if I just jump, right? And then, lo and behold, after a little bit, <sighs> number two, whenever you receive extra income, tithe it anywhere you're led to give, anywhere you want to give. It may be that some friend of yours is just going on the mission field or has a need. You've, this money came in. Just give it somewhere else. Bonuses, tax refunds are good opportunities to give. Hey, now, wait a minute. I already tied the tax return. What's your point? It's an opportunity to give. Look at everything as an opportunity to give. I tell people who don't know Christ, your life will be immeasurably better if you will be a generous person and not a stingy, self-focused person. Because the principle works for lost and saved alike. Third, give regularly to the benevolence offering. It was required in the Old Testament. Allison, we'll have to talk about this, but I've been really convicted. We need to up our game on the benevolence offering. We give every month. Not like we could. Fourth, support ministries and missionaries Especially those who minister to you. But just anyone who preaches the gospel. Is there a podcast that blesses you. And depends on financial support from its listeners. Give to them. Have you been blessed by TVR. Or Amazing Grace Adoptions. Or by Joe and Stefania Hunziker in Italy. Support them. If the Lord leads you to. But also give to missionaries. Who are taking the gospel to other parts of the world. The Lord brings people into your life for a reason. And often, partnership in the gospel is the reason. And the last thought on that point, grab a shoebox on the way out, please. Last, here's a challenge. Number five, every member and regular attender at Grace, hardly ever, do anything like this. This is a challenge to every single one of us.
to give somewhere between $5 and $100 per month above our tithe to the building fund. We've been paying on this building for a long time. Now, those of you deacons who are assigned to take care of this building, it may frustrate you at times. But those of us who used to set up and tear down every Sunday over across the street, we are pretty fond of this place. We're grateful for what the Lord has done. And if we had your job, we'd be just as frustrated as you are as well. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be paying this building off in 14 months if we keep on as we are going. But why wait? If we would all give just a little bit extra and mark your gift, we'll drive Sam crazy with $5 gifts if it's necessary. We can pay it off a lot quicker. This challenge isn't for three to five years. Hopefully it's for three to four months. It more than fits under the biblical principles that we have encountered this morning. And as we close, thinking about the ways that God has blessed us and our privileges and responsibilities, let's think one last time about our best reason for giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Let's pray. Father, It's not an easy thing for me to talk about money. And yet it's a joyful thing to see what your word says about our privileges and responsibilities. Uh, with the resources that you have so beautifully and graciously extended to us. And so Father, as we pray... And consider what you would have us to do. We pray that Jesus would be very prominent in our thoughts. And the gift of his life. Riches, we don't have the slightest idea what he set aside. To come to earth and be mocked and despised and beaten and crucified by the ones he created. Yet he did so that we might have life. And may the grace of God well up in our hearts. Make us the generous people you've designed for us to be. For reflecting, radiating the glory of God in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.